BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to a very special edition of Just the Truth. This morning, the American Greatness Fund announced the launch of the Election Integrity Alliance. I am proud and honored to serve as the board's chairwoman, alongside Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, Bernie Carrick, Peter Navarro, Sebastian Gorka, Mike Donnelly, and Myrna Turoff. We are all in the trenches to champion election integrity, and we were in the aftermath of the 2020 election. And we know firsthand, because we were there, that securing free and fair elections is the most important issue facing America today. Tonight, Ken, Bernie, and Mike will join me for the hour to discuss the mission of the Election Integrity Alliance and how you can get involved to help save America. The Election Integrity Alliance will unite groups and efforts across the nation focused on com combating election fraud and will build solutions and provide resources to state legislatures and the public on challenges to free and fair elections. The Alliance will be a centralized hub that gives tools to enact meaningful change for the American people to protect your vote. Free and fair elections are the foundation of a civil government that has power only by consent of the governed. In our system, we the people select and prefer individuals from among ourselves to govern us at all levels, and no individual or party has the right by conquest, heritage, corruption, or fraud to assume power. Only through election integrity can our American government operate according to its central mandate and its limited and legitimate role in civil society. America is built on the recognition that individual rights are God-given and pre-political. The only legitimate purpose of civil government is to preserve and protect those rights, which are essential to liberty and justice for all. Election integrity is the hallmark of freedom and should be nonpartisan, wholly American as a value. The Election Integrity Alliance's mission is to support Congress, the state legislatures, and the voters by upholding the Constitution and the rule of law, and together continue building a more perfect union. So joining me now is Honorary Co-Chairman and Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. Ken, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's such a privilege to have uh, started this alliance with you. And I know that throughout our conversations uh, in the aftermath of 2020, as well as uh, forming and building this alliance, you've continued to reiterate that election integrity is the most important issue facing America today. Uh, why do you believe that? Because if, if people in this country don't have confidence that their elections are credible and legitimate, they're not going to vote, they're not going to trust the government, no matter who wins, Democrat, Republican, independent, it doesn't matter if people do not trust the integrity of their elections. And we we can have all these great policies, but people don't vote and they don't have confidence that the right person won. The the people who are who are supposedly elected or even legitimately elected, if people don't trust the elections, don't really have the mandate that they need to govern in a way that really makes a difference for their country. Yeah, absolutely. And so you were at the forefront of the Texas versus Pennsylvania lawsuit that was filed in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, in the aftermath of the 2020 election. And explain uh, what that was about, why that was important, and why you think that the Supreme Court declined to hear it. So I was just like 
you know, so many Americans, I was watching the election results come in, had never seen uh, states stop counting or have to take three days to count their votes. But I knew exactly what was going on. And we had the same issue potentially in Texas. We had 12 lawsuits. We were sued over mail-in ballots. Several counties, some of our big urban counties wanted to send out millions of mail-in ballots. We were able to stop that through winning 12 different lawsuits. Had we not won, they, Harris County and other big counties, Travis County, which is where Austin is, is they would have been counting ballots just like this into the night, in probably for several days, and we would have been in the same situation. And so when I saw that happening, I was pretty confident since we, we investigate election fraud and so many of our cases are mail-in ballot cases, I knew that there was a problem, that, the, that these votes were not, you couldn't rely on because there's no photo ID. And then when I saw that most of these states had no signature verification, they eliminated that requirement in many of the counties across these states, I knew we had a real problem. And so we filed that lawsuit because we believe that they did, that these states did not follow the constitution. And when they didn't follow the constitution, they were not following their own state's laws. And that's how they violated the constitution. So we sued over that. It wasn't about proving individual fraud in every state. It was just this argument that the constitution matters and that these states didn't follow it. And therefore my, my voters were disenfranchised by the results. Yeah, and you had um, a number of other attorneys general in other states join that lawsuit because uh, the Electoral College is participated in by 50 states. And so if you have uh, at least six states that aren't following the rules or violating the Constitution, then that impacts uh, all the states and that impacts the process. And so what I think a lot of people uh, who, who are skeptical of this don't recognize is that they think that this effort was just a pro-Trump effort. Obviously, I was part of the campaign. I advocated for President Trump, but your lawsuit was all about election integrity and making sure the law was followed. So why do you think the Supreme Court was unwilling to hear this case? Look, I, I don't know if I can answer the question about why the Supreme Court didn't hear the case. I feel like the founders set up a pretty good system with three branches of government. The judiciary was supposed to be there to stop us from going to war against each other, fighting each other. It was a way to address our disputes with civility and to have a, a neutral peer of those disputes. As it turns out, when a state like Texas sues another state, which we sued four states, we can't sue them in Texas. We can't sue them in state court. We can't sue them in federal district court here. We have to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. I, I assume the, the founders thought it would be unfair for me to sue Pennsylvania and Texas. It, seem, it does seem a little unfair. And so our only place to get recourse or to be heard is at the Supreme Court level. And so it seems to me that the founders have had a pretty good setup to allow everybody to have their day in court. Even a state suing another state has a right to be heard. My argument is, then where do we go? If our, if our, if our lawsuit can't be heard in the U.S. Supreme Court, we don't have any place to have our issues heard, and therefore um, we have no remedy. Yeah, and I think Justice Scalia said that in uh, one of his dissents, uh, not to the Texas versus Pennsylvania suit, but another saying, why is uh, election law just under this shroud of mystery? And where do we go for remedy? And so none of these challenges were actually heard in court, and that was a significant problem. But moving forward in just the last 30 seconds we have with you, uh, Mr. Paxton, um, so moving forward, what do you think is the best and most uh, significant opportunity uh, to move forward and learn from the mistakes of the states and the corruption in 2020? The states that where this happened and other states like Texas, we need to collect, we need to fix our election laws and make sure that this doesn't happen again, that the laws followed, that mail-in ballots 
are a much smaller you know percentage of the vote because if they're a large percentage there's a high degree that they, high, high chance there's gonna be fraud and then when we do have mail-in ballots we need to make sure that they're more secure otherwise we're gonna be in trouble absolutely and that's exactly what we will be advocating for with the election integrity alliance thank you so much mr paxton for joining me we'll be right back with bernie carrick have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free good news with amazon music you have access to the largest catalog of ad free top podcasts included with your prime membership to start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to this very special edition of Just the Truth, where we're talking about the launch of the new Election Integrity Alliance. Go to AmericanGreatnessFund.com to learn more. And joining me now is Bernie Carrick, who, of course, is the former New York City Police Commissioner, a member of the Trump legal team in the aftermath of 2020, and a board member of the new Election Integrity Alliance. Bernie, thanks for being here. Thanks, Jenna. Yeah, so um, so we just talked with Ken Paxton about um, you know some of the legal challenges and what we're doing moving forward. But I want to go back now to 2020, since you and I were there. Uh, we saw the corruption, we saw the evidence, and we also saw how so many Republicans were unwilling to stand up courageously, and they're still not. Like Liz Cheney calling this the big lie. Uh, like others who are still unwilling to actually have transparency and say, yeah, show me the facts. I mean, I think it's ridiculous, Bernie, that Liz Cheney never reached out to us. Uh, no, not, almost none of the Republicans were there, uh, were looking at any of this evidence, and now they claim that they know, oh, yeah, this was totally valid and legit. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's BS. Uh, <laughs> that's what <laughs> I think. Uh, listen, at the end of the day, um, you know, and I, I try to explain this to people over and over, for the people that were there, um, we know better than anyone, um, you know, what the people like Liz Cheney was doing or not doing. Um, you know, when I, I saw her tweet the other day that, you know, the anybody that says there was fraud in the 2020 election, you know, it was all a big lie. That statement is a big lie because one, we saw the evidence. We saw the, the depositions and the affidavits. We presented at the hearings, we collected information at, be, prior to those hearings from some state legislators that had the courage to stand up and give us what they had and bring people to us. Um, we had access to the people that were calling into the campaign. We collected affidavits from them. Liz Cheney, I don't remember seeing her not once, not one time, ever. I don't remember seeing her at any briefings. I don't remember seeing her at any hearings. I don't remember talking to her. I don't remember having the mayor talk to her. I don't remember the president mentioning her at any time. How she has the audacity today to stand up and say that it was all a big lie. She has no conception of what she's talking about. She has no idea what the evidence was, what we found, what we had access to. And that goes with a bunch of other people as well. It also goes to Newsweek. You know, Newsweek just today put out some story or some tweet that this organization that's starting now, 
um, is focused or, or is supposed to be focused on overturning the election. How, how do you make a statement like that without contacting you or contacting me or contacting the other board members? How do you how do you even know what the organization's established to do without asking? You know what? Here's the bottom line. Liz Cheney, people like her in the legislators and in the legislation and, and people in the mainstream media, they don't want us to talk about it. They want us to shut up. They want us to go away. And they want that because they don't want change to the system. If we don't do what we're doing and we don't bring to light what happened in the 2020 election, there'll never be another fair election in this country. And I think that's what I'm most afraid of. Yeah, absolutely. So well said, Bernie. And, you know, there were uh, other Congress members like Ted Cruz, like Matt Gates, like Josh Hawley, like Mike Johnson, who stood up for this, who were in contact with us, who cared about all of this and so who advocated at the time for election integrity. There were a number of legislators in these states who were willing to hold the hearings that you and I both uh, were there and, you know, sat through the entire time, heard those witnesses. But there were a lot of Congress members, yes, even Republicans, that wanted no part of it. They wanted to turn a blind eye and say, nothing to see here. Well, as you said, there, there are other members of the mainstream media as well who are still saying nothing to see here. And the American people know differently. They actually also know differently. They just want us to be quiet and they don't want uh, what happened in 2020 to ever have transparency because they want that to happen again. And that's what this organization is for, is to say we need to make sure that all of the allies, all of the people who are on the ground, who are groups who care about election integrity, and this shouldn't be a partisan issue. This should matter to every single freedom-loving American to make sure that our elections are free and fair, that we are all united as allies to move forward, but also to have transparency. And so, Bernie, one of the most important things I think about this group as well is the data collection. And for people who want to be involved, who want to know the truth and the facts, you can join the mailing list. Go to AmericanGreatnessFund.com, sign up to receive notifications of what's actually going on. Because right now, the Arizona audit, uh, right now, you know, what's happening with other of, of the lawsuits, what happened even in Michigan, where Trump won, uh, the, the judge ruled that Secretary of State uh, uh, Jocelyn um, Benson, I think is her last name. Sorry, I'm forgetting that she's so irrelevant now, but uh, that she actually violated her mandate and she ignored the law in her state. But the mainstream media doesn't want to show that. And so we want to present the facts. And Bernie, I'm so grateful that you are standing up, standing firm, and that the rest of the board is saying, we're not going to be intimidated and be silent. So for the millions of Americans out there, who love their country, whether or not they supported President Trump, and most of them do, but even for the Democrats out there who support election integrity, explain um, in your view why this is so important for every American and it's not just a partisan effort. Yeah, the, yeah I, think the, I think we're way beyond this being about President Trump, and I, and I think people don't get that. Uh, the bottom line is there were irregularities and things happened throughout the voting process in a number of different states um, that were illegal. It was illegal. You know, in, in Pittsburgh, uh, for example, they threw out the Republican observers and they, through the middle of the night, between one and five in the morning, they brought in close to 350,000 ballots. They did the same thing in Philadelphia. They did the same thing in Detroit. 
It did the same thing, some of the same things in Pennsylvania. The bottom line is there were things that happened that were against the law. There were things that happened for which we went to court. We actually went to court in, in, in Philadelphia. And the judge said, yes, it's wrong. You go back there. They have to let you in. We went back. They didn't let us in. And then when we called the sheriff and said, look, we have a court order. Sheriff says, well, you know, we're not going to enforce the court order. Guess what? Another illegality. There were a number of these that happened, plus the thousands of affidavits, people that worked the polls, people that worked for Dominion, people that worked as contractors for Dominion, people that were there as observers. We didn't make this stuff up. And, and people like Liz Cheney, she hasn't seen one thing, one iota, it's one smidgen of evidence that we've seen. Um, so for the American people, if you want fair and free elections, if you want your vote to count, if you really want your vote to count, then these elections have to go by the book and by the law to make that happen. And until we, until we check the system, basically, and make sure that our legislators are doing their jobs, that our poll workers are doing theirs, that the laws on the books are not changed three days before the election in sway of one party or the other until that happens, we're never going to have a fair election. So we, we've got to get it and get it right. And, uh, and that's what this is all about. Absolutely. And we have to be able to ask the questions. And it is shocking to me that the leftists, the mainstream media, and the entire tenor of the country right now is basically telling all Americans who are concerned about our fundamental system of government, you can't even ask the question. It's the same thing like with the vaccine and with COVID regulations. We're not even allowed to ask the questions anymore. We just have to do what those in power tell us to do. That is so fundamentally anti anti-American. We have to be able to ask the questions and demand transparency and say, what happened? And with all of this evidence, I would love for the mainstream media, for Liz Cheney, for other of the rhinos to actually look at the evidence that we have, look at uh, what Ken Paxton just said, that, it, that the same thing would have happened in Texas if they hadn't won their lawsuits up front, uh, to look at what the RNC did and didn't do uh, ahead of the 2020 presidential election. This matters so much because if we are going to protect election integrity, Bernie, for the future, we have to learn from the mistakes of the past and we also have to learn from what didn't happen so we move forward. And and you made a really important point that so many people who are concerned about election integrity are waiting for 2020 to be remedied. Well, we have to, as much as I'm just as mad as everybody else at what happened, but constitutionally, and I'm going to talk with Mike Donnelly more about this, we have to actually move forward unless the House does their job and actually impeaches Biden. That's the only constitutional way of removing a sitting president. So as we are on the board, um, and we're looking at all of this, we would hope that allies will join, the American people will join, and this is a nonpartisan event. And so, uh, so Bernie, it, you know, in the last um, few minutes that I have with you here, um, what do you think is the most critical point moving forward for the state legislators to understand? Well, I think it's two things. I, I think the people of the various states around this country, pay attention to who you're putting in office. Pay attention to what their real uh, ideology is, what their real politics are. Because I, the, the one thing I can tell you is 
you know, I, I, I've seen people with Republican name tags. They're not really Republicans. I, I've met plenty of them through that election process, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. you got to pay attention to, to who you're putting in office. you got to make sure you put the right people in office. And for those state legislators, you have the authority on the, under the Constitution um, to do a job. Learn what that authority is, because the one thing we learned through this process, and that was primarily your job, your job was to basically show the legislators and walk them through the Constitution to ensure they knew what they had the authority and the obligation to do. That has to be done. Absolutely. And we'll have to leave it there. But Bernie, thank you so much and really looking forward to joining you in this effort. And we'll be right back with more here on Just the Truth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to this very special edition of Just the Truth, where we're talking about the launch of the Election Integrity Alliance. And joining me now is board member, attorney, and constitutional law professor Mike Donnelly. For those who've watched this show, you're already in love with Mike because he explains the Constitution so well. And uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining me and also for being a part of the board. Well, Jenna, you know, what you're doing with the Election Integrity Project is so important uh, for those who love this country, who want to see uh, the Republic restored one of the most foundational things that we need to be looking at is the vote. Um, you know, the Declaration of Independence says, among other things, that, you know, governments are instituted among men to preserve the rights we have. Of course, we, we've talked about those, um, that all men are created equal uh, and we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Governments are instituted among men to secure those rights and derive their powers from the consent of the governed. That is the cornerstone of our constitutional republic, one of the cornerstones. And that's the vote. That's the consent. That's how we express our consent. And people don't understand uh, that, I don't think, these days. And so that's why I think what you're doing is so important, both with your show, but also with the Election Integrity Project. And I'm so pleased to be able to be a part of it. Yeah, well, I'm so grateful uh, for you and, you know, for, for those who um, ha who know that our history, you know, I've known you for years and I always call you with saying, you know, hey, let's let's talk about this constitutional issue. And, you know, so you were one of the ones in the shadows, in the background, but also very much a part of being in the trenches during uh, the post-election integrity effort of, um, you know, helping develop and shape some of the arguments that we presented. And I'm so grateful for your expertise and for your advocacy for the Constitution and the rule of law. And Mike, you know, where we're at right now, I think a lot of Americans are rightly really frustrated, very upset at what happened. Um, but they need to understand what the Constitution says about post January 20th, uh, how all of the aftermath of that, uh, we tried to get state legislators to do their job. They wouldn't. Um, so now we have an inaugurated president. So moving forward with election integrity, explain from a constitutional perspective where we're at now. 
Well, the Constitution talks about the responsibility of the states, the role, the authority of the states to determine elections. And it talks about that in a number of different places. Um, and the states have pretty much the whole uh, set of, of, of power when it comes to determining how electors are selected um, and also uh, other aspects of elections, which is why uh, this We the People Act is so problematic because it would federalize elections. And that's just, just totally unconstitutional and uh, a direct attack on the Republican nature of our country. But moving forward, the states are the ones who have to pick up the ball and run with it if we want to restore the republic. It's been that way for a long time. Um, and I think they have a lot of opportunity to do that. And they're actually doing that. When you look at what the states are doing, there are some 300 or more bills that have been filed in a number of different states that would, in different ways, uh, attempt to secure the voting process. Um, those on the left would say that you know they're trying to suppress the vote. Um, this isn't about suppressing the vote. This is about making sure that every legal vote counts, because when illegal votes are counted, that dilutes legal votes, that disenfranchises people, and it's wrong. It's unlawful. And that's the concern that a lot of us have about what we suspect happened, and I think we know happened, uh, during the 2020 election. And so the states have full constitutional authority to not only select electors as the state legislators determine, but also to set up the election processes. Um, and, you know, there's one problem that the, there's one not a problem, but there's one thing the federal government could do, the Congress could do. I don't think they will do anything about it. But 3 U.S.C. is the Electoral Count Act. And that's a law that was passed back in 1887 following some close elections. And, you know, this election is not the first close election we've had. We've had a lot of close elections. I'm not sure if we've had uh, any elections that uh, have been so breathtakingly lawless in my opinion, which is what I think happened in the 2020 election when you had so many state uh, executive officials ignoring the laws and just making the rules up as they went. But the states have the authority to change that. It's good to see that they're doing that. I think they're missing the boat, though, because I have some ideas that uh, I'd like to see them pick up other than just making sure that there are voting IDs, that there are, um, it's, it's harder to, um, you know, abuse the mail-in ballot process and things like that. And we're going to we're going to talk to them about those uh, issues as part of the Election Integrity Alliance, all of those ideas. So stay tuned, America, for all of those great things coming from the board. But you were talking about three USC as well. Well, three USC, yes, yeah, it's, it's the Electoral Count Act. And uh, it, you know, so it was established in 1887. It's never been tested by uh, the Supreme Court. It's never really been challenged in court. Um, and it's really unfortunate, I, I think, that the Supreme Court did not take uh, Texas v. Pennsylvania. I thought that was an excellent lawsuit. Um, it laid the issues right out there very clearly. It presented a very cogent argument. Uh, clearly, there was, there, in my view, there was standing. Uh, the court said there wasn't some judicially cognizable Article Three standing. I think that's absurd. Uh, clearly, when one state sues another state and it raises a legitimate cause of action, which in this case, Texas did, the Supreme Court should have taken it. Clarence Thomas and uh, Justice Alito, I think, uh, agreed mm -hmm. that it should have been at least taken up. They didn't express an opinion on you know, how they were going to rule. But clearly, Texas uh, set forth a bill of particulars 
that was well within the court's jurisdiction, that was clearly a harms that Texas, its voters, its people, and our country um, were experiencing. And the court should have taken it. They didn't, though. Uh, so 3EOC um, would have potentially been in the mix there, which sets forth how Congress is supposed to count the votes. And there's a couple of things in there that people may not realize. And I, I don't know, until this happened, and you kind of <laughs> brought it to my attention. I hadn't really. We had a really long, years. fun conversation debating this one. I, was, I had my Constitution app out, and I'm like, Mike, okay, am I on the right page here thinking about this? And it was, this is what lawyers love to do, by the way, though, is just debate these back and forth, look at comma placement, look at all these things and say, hey, we need to follow this process. So, yeah, this was, uh, this. I think both of us were looking at this particular section more closely than we ever had before. Well, and unfortunately, or fortunately, we didn't have any Supreme Court precedent to look at either to kind of define it. When you read this federal statute, um, there have been a number of legal scholars over the years who have written about this, and they have been pretty critical of this particular statute. It's internally inconsistent in some ways. It's contradictory in some of its provisions. It is difficult to read because it was written in the language of 1887. But, you know, if you spend enough time with it, you can figure it out. But then there are other problems, for example, in 3 U.S.C. 15, which lays forth what's supposed to happen on January 6th. Uh, when the votes are counted, it lays out what to do in the case of challenges. And there were congressmen and senators who were planning to bring challenges on that day. And here's, here's why, as much as I would have liked to have seen all of those challenges brought and debated, um, at the end of the day, the, the fundamental problem with the statute is that it wouldn't have mattered because you have a divided Congress. And the only way challenges can be resolved contrary to way the state's executives, which is another problem we'll talk about here in a minute, that when the state's executives send in their, send in their certification of the vote, the 3, 3 USC says that if there's a challenge and they can't agree on whether to overturn it, then the default is to accept what the state executive authorities have sent into the uh, U.S. archives as it relates to who the electors are. Now, that conflicts with the Constitution's express delegation of authority mm -hmm. to state legislators to determine how electoral votes are supposed to be selected. And that's why Texas v. Pennsylvania was such an important lawsuit, because as Texas laid out in that lawsuit in all of its counts, and I really encourage anyone listening to just Google Texas v. Pennsylvania, it's the fourth or fifth link down on Google, at least it is now because Google will probably go and move it down to page three <laughs> or whatever. But <laughs> but of anyway, course. they could get it now. Yeah, so hurry, and go it, go and, and do that. But yeah. Yeah, and I and I would encourage people, by the way, to also read uh, the state the Pennsylvania legislature's response where their own legislature admitted to this and said, yes, there were irregularities and basically told the Supreme Court, we agree with Texas. They just wanted the cover of a judicial mandate telling them that they had to reclaim their authority because they refused to look at the Constitution for themselves. And that was a very interesting point that a lot of people miss in this case was that it actually was basically admitted by at least Pennsylvania in their response. And this is also why um, I have to interject here as well that uh, when we're talking about uh, 3 USC and why that actually is against 
uh, as a codified statute, it is against our supreme rule of law and the plenary authority given to the state legislatures that they have to select and prefer the manner of uh, delegates. And when they've delegated their authority to the executives who then have violated the law, then it has to go back to the state legislatures. And so I advocated for then Vice President Mike Pence to simply ask the state legislatures and say, what are these certifications correct or not? You are the authority. And so it was nothing about you know him having any sort of discretion. But as you look at the language of 3USC, and we're going to get into some interesting stuff about that, uh, Mike, as well. And uh, you know we, we know where this is going. But that was one other angle of this that I think was really fascinating that a lot of people don't put these pieces together and need to understand more comprehensively what the Constitution actually provides. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, and 3 USC 5, another interesting provision that talks about how uh, the electors are to be selected and what to do when there are controversies. Right. Okay. And there were many, many controversies. And uh, I'm not an election lawyer. I'm not an expert on Michigan or Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia law. So uh, but I do know that there were controversies and that there were lawsuits in those states. And we're going to have to take a break says, uh, right oh, yeah. here. And then we'll talk about controversies, though, when we come back. And stick around because you want to understand the law. You want to understand the Constitution, what happened so we can move forward and fix the problem for 2022-2024. So we'll be right back with more here on Just the Truth. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Continuing the conversation about election integrity and our newly formed Election Integrity Alliance under the American Greatness Fund, uh, my friend, constitutional law professor, attorney, and board member, Mike Donnelly, is uh, here. And we're talking about uh, the arguments and the legal rationale under the Constitution about why our rule of law and our supreme rule of law must prevail. And so for those who maybe haven't heard all of this before, well, the mainstream media is not going to tell you. They tried to to just make this all about talking points and overturn and suppression and all this kind of stuff. But no, all of the arguments from the Trump legal team and the advocates for election integrity now are all based on upholding our rule of law and making sure that we protect free and fair elections. And you need to know these things. And that's why we encourage you to sign up at AmericanGreatnessFund.com to get these alerts, to know what our allies are doing in the various states and how you can get involved and spread the truth not fake news, not spin. So, Mike, before the break, we were talking about uh, 3 USC and uh, when there are challenges like we had in the aftermath of 2020, when there are challenges to the certifications. Right. So 3 USC 5 talks about this, and it says basically that as long as the state has passed a law regarding uh, challenges to the results, six, at least six days before uh, the vote itself, those laws count towards that election counting, and they're supposed to be completed 
before the electors are finalized. But is that what happened? No. Um, you had state governors, state secretaries of state rushing as quickly as they could, especially in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and, and Wisconsin, um, to send in their certificates to the archivist. Because as I said, as I said before, 3 U.S.C. 15 defaults to those documents, which, as I said before, is, I think, unconstitutional. And frankly, we ought to figure out a way to challenge that statute or at least get Congress to rewrite it. The other thing I find interesting about 3 U.S.C. is when you look at the Constitution and you read the sections that talk about the selection of electors for the presidential election, both the 20th Amendment, the 12th Amendment, and uh, in uh, Article uh, was it one article two section one one point two yeah um, yeah it 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 basically doesn't say anything about Congress having any authority to pass a law about this right now I think some of the stuff that Congress put into three USC is is probably okay some of it is repetitive of what the Constitution says which is like why even write it if it's repetitive uh, but the laws the Constitution says the electors are supposed to send in their results. It doesn't say anything about the state executives sending in results. So there's a lot of ground on which to challenge this particular statute. And I think it's problematic. I think it needs to be rewritten, fixed, um, or maybe even gotten rid of, because I don't even know that we actually need it. Right. And these are some of the things uh, legislatively that not only Congress has the authority to do. And when you look at, you know, like I was talking about with Bernie Carrick, looking at people like Liz Cheney, who continue to perpetuate the myth that, uh, you know, this was the big lie. And she hasn't herself looked at any of the facts and circumstances uh, or contacted the legal team or, or anyone uh, regarding the 2020 election. The, this is the reason why our vote matters, because the people who were elected by us who had the power to actually prevent corruption are the very people who refuse to do their job. And so if we're going to vote them out, we have to make sure that our vote counts and that every legal vote counts and counts fairly. So that's why it's so important to be on the ground and in uh, the state legislatures in particular to have some of these solutions and say, here is model legislation that frankly all 50 states should pass uh, to make sure that transparency is given to the voters, that state law is followed, and also that in accordance with the Constitution, the plenary power remains with the state legislatures. They're not delegating it in terms of discretionary certification and the final say. They retain the authority to say, yes, this is the slate that according to our law was chosen by the people who participated in the selection of the delegates through the vote. And so these are things that the Election Integrity Alliance um, that we are championing and we fully support the organizations that are already doing some of this work and we want to give you even more resources and tools about the law, um, about the Constitution, about the efforts that are going on. And Mike, um, I want to ask you as well, too, because um, so many people uh, have said, you know, well, I'm not even going to participate in anything. Um, I see, you know, people in my mentions on social media all the time. I'm not going to participate in anything until we get 2020 corrected. Well, constitutionally, you know, unless and until there's an impeachment and there has to be a constitutional basis for that, that's not going to happen. Explain that to people uh, so that they understand. Well, it, yeah, I mean, there's no we can't depose the president. I mean, he he is the president. Um, I call him the usurper, the pretender. Um, I mean, look, he's he's been in public office for many years and you can agree or disagree with his politics. And I disagree with most of his politics. And I think he's got issues. 
but he was constitutionally appointed uh, by the Congress, who, you know, they, they had things they could have done. But as we just talked about, it's kind of a circular thing with 3USC. They follow the law, and it kind of all ended up there. And it started with the states not doing their job. When I look at, and so there's no way that it can be quote unquote corrected, as you pointed out in impeachment. Um, and, you know, frankly, um, you know, I personally think that there are things that um, the president has done in his past that probably are impeachable. Whether that's something you can impeach him for now is certainly a question. Uh, but that's another matter. The, mm -hmm. the, the state legislators had the opportunity to correct this. They didn't do it. They held some hearings. You were at those hearings. I watched them with dismay as I saw state legislators not understanding the power that they had under the Constitution, not really taking seriously what appeared to be very serious lawless acts being uh, done by executive branch officials, rewriting the rules, playing fast and loose, flooding uh, the different voting places. Some like in Detroit and, and Philadelphia, it appeared with, with votes that were questionable and that weren't being checked. I mean, come on. The, the other side wants to talk about the big lie. The big lie is sticking your head in the sand and ignoring that something really dramatically wrong happened in this election. Now, we can't go back and, and you know, put Trump back, on, on the, uh, back in the White House. It's not going to happen. But we can make some changes moving forward. And that's why people need to get behind this project. And it's not just something that one organization can do, like the Election Integrity Alliance. It's going to be a group of organizations that care about this issue. And as you pointed out, Jenna, if we don't have the vote, if we don't have the consent of the people and confidence in that system, what do we have? We're not going to be able to restore the republic if we can't make sure that the, the vote is um, secure, solid, reliable, and we can have confidence in it. Absolutely. And that's why this keyword alliance is so important to what we're doing, because I want to make very clear, this is not an effort that is competing with anyone else. This is uh, not an effort that we're saying we can do this alone. Uh, the best coalitions and the best way to move forward is to build harmony with people who are all concerned about this and can all participate and move forward. There's strength in numbers. And that's why an alliance is so important, where we need to have a hub where people can come and say, okay, what are all these different organizations doing? I mean, I know it's hard for me to even keep track, and that's part of my job, you know, is to make sure, okay, what are all these different organizations doing? And so the reason that we want to have a centralized hub is, one, to combat the fake news, mainstream media that will tell you uh, false things about what's going on, for example, in Georgia, in their legislation. They'll tell you false things about the outcome of different lawsuits, like what happened in Michigan. They'll tell you false things even about what we're doing here at the Election Integrity Alliance. And so an alliance matters. And that's why if your organization will ally with us, we want to build a national coalition and we want to make sure that we are putting this issue at the forefront of state legislatures because they know, we told them, I told them, this is the most important thing you have to do moving forward to protect election integrity and protect your vote. So we'll be right back with more here on Just the Truth. Thanks for joining on this very special edition of Just the Truth, where we've been talking about the newly launched Election Integrity Alliance. And I hope that even in just this brief overview, and yes, an hour is very brief, to discuss everything that has been going on uh, since 2020, and even actually before the 2020 election, but how we need to move forward. And so uh, Mike Donnelly, who is a fellow board member on the Election Integrity Alliance, um, I'm talking to him about uh, some of the things that have happened in the past, and then also moving 
moving forward. So Mike, um, now that we are at the juncture we're at, what are some of the ideas uh, that you have from a constitutional law perspective uh, that we can champion moving forward? Well, Jen, as we've talked uh, about the Republic and the Constitution and the problems we face as a country, we've discussed the idea that uh, in order to prescribe the correct solution, you have to have a good understanding of the problem. And so the states are addressing some of those problems. Of course, the widespread, rampant, indiscriminate use of mail-in ballots is a recipe for um, fraud. And, you know, people don't like that word fraud. Fraud is when someone intentionally deceives another criminally with the hope for personal or financial gain. And I suspect that there was some of that going on. Uh, maybe not everybody had that intent, but there were certainly attempts uh, in that direction. So mail-in ballots, uh, making sure that people who are entitled to vote vote. So checking identification and having some way to secure that as well, not allowing mailboxes, uh, just ballot boxes to be set up anywhere you want without someone attending them, which is what happened in Wisconsin, for example. Uh, so you got to address those issues. Those are important issues. But what I saw unfold in 2020, as you were going around to the different legislatures, I saw the legislators a little bit like deer in the headlights. They didn't understand their powers, as you explained it to them. And then they were afraid or too nervous or uh, concerned about actually taking up the power that they did have and exercising it. And so, you know, they did that to themselves by delegating all of that authority to the executive branches in their government. But they don't have to stay satisfied with that. They can change the law. And so I have a proposal, which is which would simply, very simply, write the legislatures back into the uh, electoral review process. So before any state can certify, before any state can certify an election, the secretary of state or governor, or whoever is delegated the authority of the election commission, would have to create a report, would have to submit it to the legislature that would have to be called back into session. So they might have to change some laws and make provision for some special sessions. But they would call themselves back into session or come back into session to review the report. They would have a hearing on it, a public hearing, so that everybody could have the opportunity to ask questions uh, and they could satisfy themselves that the laws were followed and that the electors were, were appropriately selected. And if anyone certified a uh, set of electors without the legislature's approval, then that would be made a crime and there would be a fine or something of that nature. So the legislatures have to write themselves back into the process. And if that had been the case, I think we would have seen something different happening in Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and maybe even Georgia. Absolutely. And, you know, the number one uh, objection or process sort of like, well, hey, our hands are tied, that we heard from the state legislative uh, leadership was, well, we can't call ourselves back into session. So if, for example, you know, the Arizona state governor is unwilling to call us back into special session, we can't do it ourselves. And, of course, our response to that was, well, you have the authority under uh, Article 2, Section 1.2 to make sure that the laws are followed. So you can call yourselves back into session because uh, nothing that is written into law in terms of the process on the state level can violate uh, the U.S. Constitution. That's the whole idea of the Supremacy Clause. And so we had that conversation. As you said, Mike, they were unwilling, afraid, spineless, uncourageous, all of those terms uh, to do that. I'm grateful that people on the ground still in Arizona, Pennsylvania, uh, Doug Mastriano, Senator Mastriano today, um, as soon as the announcement was released, he texted me and said, I'm in, um, totally am allying with you. So I'm, I'm happy to see that there are 
so many Congress members and also state legislature members um, who already have contacted us saying, we want to be part of this. And I hope that as people are watching this, um, if you are someone who is not a state legislator, you're a voter, encourage your state legislators to get on this. You actually have a voice still and you can contact them daily. You can tell them this is the number one issue and to make sure that your voice is heard. And I hope that everyone also recognizes that, that, that this is a nonpartisan issue. I hope that fair, freedom-loving Democrats or independents or libertarians or whatever your political party, we all have to unanimously come together and recognize election integrity is for all of us. And so, Mike, um, moving forward um, with the alliance, um, what do you think is, you know, beyond what we've talked about, what do you think is the most critical point for uh, people who want to get involved for them to do at this point? Well, people have to do whatever they can do. They need to support the effort financially. They need to support it, as you pointed out, by encouraging their legislators to get on board, uh, support organizations, encourage other organizations that care about the republic, that care about having a, an election system that we can have confidence in, and encouraging them to be part of this effort. Um, if we don't have the consent of the governed through a good system of voting, what do we have? We don't have a republic anymore. So it's critical. And as Alexis de Tocqueville observed back in you know, the very beginning of the founding, he said, one of the great things about America is that private citizens get together and they do things to make a difference. And that's why this effort is so important. And you know, we're so exceptional in that way. When you look around at other countries, it doesn't happen quite as much as it does here. And this is something that people need to get involved with support it in whatever way they can. And, and thank you for inviting me to be part of it. I think this is critical to recovering so much of the republic that has been lost over the last century or so. Mm. Well, we're very honored to have you on the board and your expertise and your passion and commitment to saving America. And I hope that for everyone who's listening, uh, you realize that if our founders had had the attitude of, you know, hey, we lost one, parliament didn't listen to us, and they weren't willing to continue the effort uh, to protect our rights that come from God, our creator, we'd still be a British colony. We wouldn't even be here fighting for election integrity. We can never, ever, ever give up. We have to move forward. So go to AmericanGreatnessFund.com. Join the effort. We're really excited for this. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.